Support for Decoder comes from NetSuite. Here are some numbers all business owners should know for 2024. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com decoder. That's netsuite.com decoder to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com decoder. Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Neilai. If you don't know, I also host a weekly tech news show called The Vergecast with my friend David Pierce. This week, Google CEO Sundar Pichai joined the show to talk about all the news from Google's developer conference. That's the new Pixel Watch, the Pixel Tablet, some hints of some AR glasses, really the future of Google itself. Good conversation. We thought Decoder listeners would like it. So we're going to run the episode here as well. If you like what you hear, check out The Vergecast everywhere you get your podcasts. I got to say, it's a pretty good time. Okay, here's Google CEO Sundar Pichai on The Vergecast. Sunil Pichai, you are the CEO of Google. You are the CEO and chairman of Alphabet. Welcome to the Vergecast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you, Nila and David. Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's been a while since we've talked. Also, I appreciate that you're on the Vergecast. Real ones are on the Vergecast to talk product. <laughs> that's like, that's this is where it gets serious about products. True that. So it's Google I.O. Uh, we obviously came off the keynote. The keynote was two hours long. Lots of products, lots of really hardcore AI tech, Lambda, big language models. Here's my question for you, just kind of a big picture, and then I want to dive into some of the products themselves. Google does a lot of things. It has a lot of research projects, a lot of far out ideas, a lot of things on the ground like maps and recommendations and obviously search. You run YouTube, then you've got Android. Like It's a lot of things. Kind of the theme of IO this year was you're bringing it all together and it's going to become a very focused set of products and experiences for people across the whole ecosystem. So just at, from the baseline, how real is that? How much are you actually bringing Google into focus versus you're just lining up the pieces and making sure they, they make sense together? Well, you know, I do think a few things uh, which I've tried to do at the company. Uh, one is at an underlying more foundational le- layer that focus on AI. So when you say research, uh, you know, it is a real deep focus on AI. In some ways, the big bet is AI is transformational across, you know, all the products and services we do. So for sure, uh, that's been a big focus bet. And above it, uh, a focus on knowledge and computing, right? And both we see as core aspects of our mission. And so to me, you know, it is the same AI which which makes that uh, change in search, uh, you know, be, because we are able to do things in a more multimodal way. And it's that same multimodal model which in YouTube can create auto chapters and so on. So it's an underlying theme. So with which we are doing it across our key products and services. But there is a set of products which our users use multiple times per day. These are big active user bases. And so, you know, there's a lot of focus on be it search or Gmail or maps or YouTube. 
making sure those products are evolving in a way that makes sense. And so I think both are important. So on the AI front, though, there's a piece of that that's really interesting to me, because one of the things I noticed in the keynote was that things like Lambda and Translate and Palm kept coming up kind of in different contexts. And I think one of the things that's been tricky for us to figure out is like when you say we're focused on AI, that can mean lots of things, right? AI is this huge sprawling thing that can mean a lot of things. Within that space, it feels like maybe Google is picking its spots a little more instead of kind of trying to do lots of things. You have sort of a few big bets even just within AI. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. Uh, you know, you can think about it this way, right? There is, we are all making progress in state of the art ML and AI. Then there's things in terms of what we are deploying in production, which is the latest version of either speech models, vision models, et cetera, or multimodal models, right? And then there is the future of AI, which, which is not in production yet. And that is large language models. And I think we are talking about that. And that's where Lambda and Palm and everything comes in. And some of that will keep flowing back into cutting edge production. And, and, you know, and that's what keeps the innovation going. And we are talking about uh, both of them. And I think part of that, it seems like my sense would be then that your job as, as CEO is in part to sort of make sure all of those things are moving at the correct speed. Because I, I just the idea of sort of living deep in the future and two years from now and also right now <laughs> is just, it seems impossible. You know, I think something which is probably, you know, there are two sides to the coin, right? So for example, when we build something like Chrome, you know, we unveil the end-to-end -end product one day. Well, the comic book leaked two days ago, but you know, <laughs> at least, you know, it's a product in which you come out and, you know, unveil it. When it comes to things like AI, both, a lot of it we publish research. So, you know, you're not quite can do that. And B, because in a technology like that, transparency is important too, I think. And, and so, we are talking about it ahead of time, which is what gives a sense of, well, is this too futuristic? What of this will apply to the products? And I, I think it's a fair question, but I'm trying to explain why we are doing it the way we are doing it. And so that's what I think makes it a bit different. I think the kind of the classic story of IO has been a demo of a really impressive AI tool. I can't help but think of the one that took the fence out of the picture in the image editor. And it turns out like that's actually a really hard problem. It's going to take a long time to actually ship that to consumers. But at the same time, you're demoing things in actual products like translation that are real for people or could be real today. And it's just really hard to calibrate what are we looking at that's real right now or that is a vision of what AI could accomplish versus Google is one of the few companies that still demos really impressive software every time you have an event. Most other companies are like, I don't know, we, we, we're going to stream some baseball games to you. You know, like <laughs> there's a really like very hardcore engineering component to what you showed at IO, but it's just hard to know which of it is going to come into focus and turn into a product and which of it is Google has an intense set of capabilities and part of Google's culture is chasing them down wherever, wherever they might lead. You know, if you, if you go back, let me give a couple of examples. Like, you know, we showed Google Lens many years at IO, right? You know, the promise of what Google Lens is. It's a real product, right? And like, you know, people query it, you can access it. And we are taking, as Lens matures, we are bringing those capabilities into search. And that's what, you know, helps you uh, from a multi-search standpoint. Even the fence, you can, you can see magic eraser in Pixel, and I would argue, gets at some of that promise in the context of a product. You know, so the goal of everything we are showing is to actually build it into a product. That's, how, that's what we are trying to do. So 
I have no interest in being an R&D <laughs> lab. You know, we actually genuinely believe in doing cutting edge R&D, right? We are one of the world's largest R&D investors, uh, you know, probably over $100 billion in the past five years. And so we are definitely doing tip of tree R&D, but the goal is all with a clear lens of our mission, how we will apply it and working it backwards. And then I think both are true. So, you know, there may be times, you know, there's a probabilistic outcome. And so that there may be one or two elements in it, which we fail. And so that, that, that is that risk of talking ahead. And, and I think the failures are also obvious to the external world. But I do think if you have looked at the capabilities we are bringing in Pixel, et cetera, that is, we are translating it into products and features. Everything to do with translation though, you know, I would argue we've been steadily making progress you know, be it monolingual translation or what we showed in the context of translation and transcription in the context of the prototypes, uh, AR glass prototypes, those are real products we are working on, right? Wait, so the, we're going to skip ahead. You brought it up. The glasses are real? It's a real <laughs> pair of glasses? Yeah. I mean, the prototypes are real. I mean, they are uh, real use cases and, you know, people testing it out are real. Absolutely. We are still obviously working through what the right product in terms of AR is. With AR, we were trying to communicate two things. One is a lot of the innovation for what we are building in AR, we're building it in the context of a smartphone today. And so lens, multi-search, scene exploration, live immersive view and maps, these are all AR experiences. We are doing it in a smartphone today, but the magic isn't fully obvious till you can live in that future. And so we are exploring that future also in terms of hardware form factors, but that's going to take time to do and we, we, we have a few more decisions ahead of us there. So I looked at the glasses. So if people haven't seen the video, you should watch it. It's cool. It's a pair of glasses that listens and it shows you real-time translations. Someone's speaking a different language and you get real-time translation on the screen of the glasses. I look at that and I say, oh, that's really smart. Right now, all the AR experiences you're describing, they happen on a phone mm -hmm. because a phone has a fancy camera built into it. Mm -hmm. It has a 5G network connection for whatever that's worth. It has a fast processor. It has a big battery. Putting that stuff in glasses is very difficult. And I look at the translation glasses you demoed and I say, oh, this is actually, you're cutting the problem way down. Now all we're doing is listening to someone, translating it, and then showing some text on a screen, which in the grand scheme of computer problems is still hard, but in the scheme of AR is like a very narrow solution. Is that how you're thinking about it? That you're going to cut it all the way down to that and you're not going to do real-time graphic overlays and stuff that seems really far out right now? I think it's part of how we are thinking about it because, you know, I, I don't think we want to overshoot it. The, the more you overshoot, the longer it is away, right? And so we are trying to find that sweet spot of what is it that you can do something which people can wear, maybe doesn't have, uh, you know, it's comfortable, you can wear, and also doesn't have the other broader issues around, well, if you have a camera, you have to solve a set of different issues. It's a harder system integration problem as you're pointing out and, and, and so on. So we're thinking through. I think anytime, you know, constraint, I've always felt constraints help, right? You know, having constraints helps you actually deliver a product. And so I'm a fan of that. And so I think that's part of what's informing our thinking there. One of the other challenges with AR, and you're kind of hinting at it, yep, there's the big, you have to develop the hardware. That seems very challenging. There's also the idea that you're going to augment reality, which just on its face seems like the world's biggest content moderation challenge. <laughs> you run YouTube. YouTube is a content moderation challenge. Have you put time into thinking about, okay, we're going into an AR future. Someone's looking at the Capitol building. Google's going to put some information over the Capitol building to say what happened there. And people are going to be upset 
regardless of what we put on that screen. Have you gotten all the way that down that road in your thinking yet, or are you still focused on, we have to make a computer you put on your face? No, I think, look, I think we are in early stages. You know, you can imagine use cases where there are products like maps or, you know, you want to listen to music when you run or, you know, the translation use cases. I think anytime you show information with that, you have to think through all that. And I, I agree with you, but I don't think we are quite there yet, if I were to be frank, thinking, thinking all that through. Just on a timeline, do you think this is a five-year problem? Is it a 25-year problem? Is it 18 months? Well, we have that problem today, right? I think, I think information is working at scale on the internet. And, you know, I think we've already crossed the inflection point. So I would argue, you know, solving content moderation, you know, it's a hard enough problem today. And if I think through the future, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe areas where I worry about more are, you know, synthetic content and how do we deal with that? And, you know, so maybe areas like that, which is not necessarily AR as a dimension, but I think there are <laughs> other dimensions, uh, you know, which, which, which I think we are probably thinking about a bit more. Fair enough. And I think this comes back to the the kind of how you think about the company as a whole question, too, because I think we've seen a few companies most aggressively, I think, meta make a lot of noise about AR being like a bet the company thing, right? That, that this thing that is coming next is going to require everything that we have and we have to put everything we have behind it and it's going to require changing how we work. My sense is you're not shifting Google quite that aggressively, but... Sundar is like, the real world's pretty good. Yeah. Which is about as hard of a shot as I've ever heard you take, man. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I mean, we are definitely uh, focused more in more on the AR side in the context of the real world is important. It's not a, it's how we see it and we, we're building it. I think, look, VR is, uh, has an important use case too, and there'll be mixed reality, but those things all have different timelines and access and so on. Well, I, I was curious, as you think about, and I, I mean it with AR, because eventually if AR is going to be as big as a lot of people think it is, it's going to require basically every team at Google to build new things for it. Where are you in sort of how you're thinking about how much energy you want to put within the company onto that kind of stuff. Look, I mean, we worked through, remember, uh, you know, Google was, uh, came from the desktop era, right? And, you know, we have driven the shift to mobile. AI is a big shift we are driving. Uh, and so to me, I think it cuts across. And so we think about it. So I don't view it as betting the company. I mean, it is a natural evolution of the company. And I think if you're thinking deeply and building for the future, it is a big part of getting it right. So for me, it's important Search works in an AR context, you know, and Maps is thinking it through, and YouTube is thinking it through, right? And, and Google Photos is thinking it through. And so I think if you get it right that way, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing the company along through these big transitions. And so maybe, you know, maybe it's a, it's a way about how we think about it. All right, let's come back out of the clouds for a minute. <laughs> That's AR. I mean, it's, it's interesting, and I think the glasses are fascinating in the sense that by reducing the problem you're trying to solve you actually can make a more useful product as opposed to trying to boil the ocean there, but they're still pretty far out. You've got another problem right in front of you, which is trying to sell pixel phones and create a pixel ecosystem. Even at that for a while, we saw pixel seven, pixel six, a pixel buds pro you hinted at a tablet. There's a lot of energy in that space. And one of the things that Rick told David on another piece of the Richcast is that the Android team and the Pixel team are much closer together now. They're operating in harmony. Historically, that arrangement has made your OEMs very mad. I believe at one point Google was forced to sell Motorola because things were too close. But now you're doing it again. Tell me about that. Is that 
Pixel is Samsung and Lenovo and whoever else don't see Pixel as a threat, so you can bring them close together. Is it you're going to spin some innovations from Pixel out into Android proper? How are you thinking about managing that dynamic? Let me step out and first answer about a focus there. You know, to me, no different over the past five years, if you've taken an area like YouTube or, you know, we've put a lot of focus into it. Uh, cloud is the same thing, both as big areas and as important businesses to be built. To me, hardware and computing is uh, equally important. I do think the ecosystem, all of us see value in, you know, working together to make sure we make progress, particularly beyond phones, right? So Wear OS has been a great example. I think we've done both, uh, you know, because when you're, when, you're, when you're building these new categories, it's hardware, it's software, it's app developers, you all understand this well. So there is value in what we did with Samsung on Wear OS aligning. And as developers, the fact that Pixel Watch is coming and Wear OS has a lot more traction, all of that matters because developers address it too. So a rising tide lifts all boats kind of a scenario, I think, uh, I think is genuinely what plays out. So, you know, we work super hard with Samsung on foldables and phones and, you know, and also, I think there's some added value in our approach in the sense that sometimes we have a strong view on what to do on top of Android, right? Our OEMs may have a different viewpoint. I think one of the benefits of Android is it allows both viewpoints to be expressed and we can do it in the context of Pixel and the ecosystem we see. And Samsung can you know, have a vision on top of Galaxy and their, their hardware ecosystem too. So I think there's some value in that too. So, you know, I don't see necessarily uh, this being that complicated. I think the industry has evolved to this level. Uh, you can you can look at somebody like Microsoft with Surface and Windows, and uh, you can ask the you know the same question. But I think you know I, I I think it's natural. We work with Samsung, by the way. You know our Pixel division is a major customer of Samsung's components. So we don't sit and ask, hey, Samsung is supplying its own phones. And us, and like, how do you do this? And the industry has worked that way for a while. So I, I you know, I, I see it as a natural evolution. On the ecosystem side of things, what changed your thinking about that? I think one of the things that Neil and I both noticed from IO was it was, there was a lot of kind of resurrecting of old products and old ideas. Like tablets was a thing that it doesn't seem like Google has cared about in a while. And same with watches. And while it is back after not being back, and uh, it's definitely... The, the ecosystem thinking seems to have gotten much bigger. What sort of sparked that internally? Look, there, I think there are two aspects to it. One is what you said, uh, you know, that the ecosystem is important and, you know, thinking it through. And, you know, and Android is open source, which means there are many different OEMs making things. So the Android team is thinking hard about better together and how do these things work together better. And the additional categories becoming more important. That's, an, that's one part of it. The second part of it is why not sooner is, you know, hardware is such an economies of scale business, right? There's so many things to do to get it right. You know, we have been building the capabilities, right? So for example, we knew Tensor has been five years in the making, right? You're, you're seeing it now, but we knew we, we needed that to work well to be able to do a tablet so that it shares the same silicon platform with phones. And so you had to crawl, walk, and start to run on phones <laughs> before you can actually do, do the other things. So there's a difference between intellectually understanding it a few years earlier versus the actual practical ability to get scale and to be able to do it all in the additional things. And so I think I think that's the practical side of it. But let me ask you about phones in particular and then maybe extend it to tablets. You made the comparison to Microsoft. Microsoft did Surface because 
the Windows ecosystem was not producing $1,000 laptops. Panos has been on the show. He said that very, to us very directly, very loudly. And so they're like, we need to we need to reinvigorate this segment of the market. We need to compete with Apple because Apple's winning at this segment of the market. In phones right now, right, if Pixel is a huge success, you're not necessarily getting Apple switchers, right? You're getting Samsung switchers or you're just moving people around the Android ecosystem. If you launch a tablet, I don't know if you're thinking you're going to get iPad switchers. You might just get like Chrome OS switchers or other Android tablet switchers. Like, how do you think about managing that competition? And, and then I guess the real question is, how do you think about opening the gate to get people to switch from the Apple products where however many conversations you want to have about lock-in, and I promise you we will soon ask about RCS, but <laughs> they seem to be pretty happy over there and not enticed to switch to your platforms. No, look, I, I definitely think us doing tablets and us working better with Samsung on tablets We'll end up in together, each of us both individually better off and overall, you know, Android as an ecosystem will do better than tablets. That's how the math works out, at least empirically uh, for a while. On the phone side too, you know, I do think on high ends, you know, we need to be competitive. Similarly, you know, you're talking about switching, but we could also lose users from the Android ecosystem because we don't have a good tablet offering as well. I mean, you've made this point before on, on Vergecast, but you know, about Nexus 7 and the impact it had, we are doing it because we think we will give a clearer view on how you can do these things and how they can work together. And, and I think it will impact the whole ecosystem to do better. So I, I see all of that playing out. I see it so far from being a zero-sum game. And to my earlier point, we end up being a very successful other cell component to us. We buy displays, we buy memory, we buy, I mean, it's, it's so, I think it's a bit more complex than that, yeah. All right, so now I definitely have to ask the RCS question. <laughs> Shout out to our friend Dieter Bone, who you ruthlessly took from us, Cinder. <laughs> but right, the the noise that Google has started to make about RCS has gotten louder over the past five years. I would I would just say it started with here's the new standard. We hope the carriers adopt it. We're running our own RCS servers. To two days ago on stage, everyone should adopt RCS pointed look in the direction of Cupertino, right? Like <laughs> you're starting to advocate now for it as a, as a company very loudly. There are good reasons for that. There's security, there's encryption, there's all that stuff. There's also just interoperability and ease of switching in the sense that iMessage is pure lock-in for Apple. How are you balancing all of that stuff? Is it you're more focused on this is the next generation of standards and we got to get there, or is there an element of competitiveness to it? Well, first of all, a few things, you know, I mean, for, for all the, uh, you, you've had a long focus on our messaging efforts, <laughs> and I would say RCS is a, a tribute to, I still recall being in Mobile World Congress, maybe now, I may get the timing wrong, six to seven years ago, and seeing the moment where the carriers suddenly looked at us and said, we need you to do this. And historically, it's, it had been difficult, the carriers viewed as, we don't want anyone else to come into messaging. And so it was a big shift. And so I actually view it as a great example of against extraordinary odds, being so focused on an area over six to seven years and, and being where we are at, where I think, at least on the Android ecosystem side, RCS is on a clear path to uh, both uh, being a standard, supporting end-to-end -end encryption and so on. So, you know, super excited about the progress there. I think, look, interoperability is great here. Uh, you know, we all take it for granted in areas like email today. You know, I, it would be great uh, for it to work. I think we couldn't even make the case till we had a viable 
alternative. So we've crossed that part. And so, you know, I think I realize teams being excited and making calls and stuff. But to me, what's in our control is to build a compelling uh, standard and over time make the compelling case. It's the benefit of everyone involved, including iOS users, uh, to have that end-to-end encryption working and have that interoperability. And the rest is, you know, outside of our hands. And as you said, you know, time will tell. But you know, I'm at least glad we've reached the stage where we are. And, and making progress and taking data. Well, first of all, you guys focus a lot on products, which is great and I, I think unique. But the more you focus on product, you're almost like product manager type of people. And Google is always hiring product managers. So, <laughs> so I think it comes. Yeah, you, you need someone who thinks about the people. <laughs> I guess that, that, that's like another, I think, just big thing question. And I want to I want to ask about a more distributed future. But uh, just on a big perspective, Right now, when you think about the big companies, they have signature products. Mm-hmm. Google has a lot of signature products. As you're thinking about the future of the company and how all those products might work together and how you might layer the the technologies underneath them together, are you thinking about changing how Google operates or how it's organized? Like historically, Google has just been a has been doing a lot of things all at once. I think messaging is actually the ultimate example of this, where lots of teams at Google have built messaging products. But the strategy for messaging has only recently begun to perhaps coalesce. Are you thinking about that more broadly across the company? Look, uh, uh, yes. I mean, you know, things which have really, you know, one of the things which becoming CEO was one, I wanted the company to go back and think a lot about its core mission because I, f- I felt that it was important to ground, it, ground ourselves there and really focused on knowledge. And the core of knowledge for us is on search and YouTube. It's our core consumer services. And then computing, right? It's uh, it's Android. And as part of that, there was a big bet on hardware too. And then making sure we are a world-class enterprise platform as well uh, with cloud and workspace. So we've done a lot of work to focus the company along those dimensions, right? And so, you know, you see those are our five big product areas, how we are structured and how we run them. And with a common view of all the cross-cutting R&D and technology, particularly AI, which, which really, you know, drives innovation forward there. So that's definitely, you know, that's the big picture, how, how I think about it. And, you know, we'll continue to be very focused. And that's why I gave the examples of, and I think it takes a lot in tech. You know, tech is very competitive. You look at something like TikTok Emerge, you know, things happen in a very fast uh, cycles. And so to stay on top of, on any significant tech product, you know, needs a lot of focus and continued innovation. And so I've always viewed as a company, we need to be very, very focused on it. And uh, definitely we have brought focus. Some of us, what looks outside as well, you're focused on these products and you're improving them. Well, yes, I mean, because these are, you know, billion user products uh, doing important things. And I think people rely on them. And to me, there is nothing more important than making it, you know, better constantly and continually evolving it. As a web service, sometimes it's hard because, you know, if you're doing hardware or something, you get these once in a year moments to go talk about it. Something like search where you're shipping stuff every two weeks and you're continuously releasing them, uh, you know, it, it is even more important, I think, to be very focused and making sure you're actually moving the needle. So I think it's definitely a big part of what I think about. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the blockchain, decentralized computing. I talk to blockchain companies and CEOs and whenever they're like web two, 
the examples they give me are always Google. It's always <laughs> Google search. It's always G- it's always YouTube, right? These are the Web two platforms that the blockchain companies are going to disrupt. Are you making big bets? I mean, you and I we're talking right now in the middle of like a literal cryptocurrency crash. So I'm assuming you're not making huge bets today. But are you thinking about that next future for Google? Look, I mean, I, Web two was a big part of why I joined Google, and you know, seeing the transition from the web moving from content to apps and the excitement around XML, uh, HTTP and Ajax and realizing that, you know, maps and Gmail all represent a fundamental shift in how the web works. So I think it's exciting to me anytime the web web evolves, but the web is a big thing. And like, there are, you know, no one person can evolve it, right? It's like, uh, that's, that's the beauty of the web. And so, so I always look at any innovation in a, excited, try to understand what are the good things coming out of it. And, and so it is still early days though. So that's how I would probably be, uh, probably say, but you know, I'm always trying to think ahead about what are the key trends, be it on computing, be it on how the web itself is evolving and trying to see, you know, where Google can contribute, where Google can also lead. And it's, it's a big part of how, how we should think about, uh, not to mention AI being the most important of, of it all. Do you think of, let's call it Web3, the blockchain Web3 stuff, right? The innovation there is not, there's a lot of cryptographic innovation, sure, but the innovation there is not necessarily technological capability. It's, I don't have to trust your database. Google is effectively like the world's most powerful database company. There's a very important database at the heart of Google that you can query and get results from. Do you ever think, oh, this will displace the search index or this will displace the YouTube database? Uh Look, a decentralized model, I mean, don't forget, I think Skype worked at some point on a P2P-based model, right? I think <laughs> distributed databases are a, a hard, interesting computer science challenge, too. So I think we, we get equally excited about that and, you know, and, and so on. I think it's important to think through user problems, what you're trying to solve, and the underlying technology. And so all of that is important, uh, you know, end-to-end. But as always, when anything evolves, you know, look, the big part I... To make sure you're leading in all these services, will you get disrupted? Yeah, by definition, if you're not trying hard enough, yes, the answer is absolutely 100% yes. I'm like, when we show up to work on Mondays, and yes, I worry about all of this all the time. And, uh, you know, so maybe I'll leave it at that. So my, my last question is, tell me what your killer app is for smartwatches. We spend a lot of time debating what smartwatches are for. And having now spent a lot of time building one, I'm curious kind of what you see as like, the, the sort of reason for smartwatches at the moment for Google? I'll probably leave it with, I want to make sure the team has something to say in September when they <laughs> talk about uh, Pixel watches. And uh, I, I think they've teased it uh, enough that, look, I'm excited because I think for me, it's the thing I'm excited about is it's an end-to-end hardware portfolio. And you will see a lot of the Pixel brand identity. And you know if you're a Pixel user, a lot of the uh, design language and and some of the customizable how easy it is to change bands and the expressiveness is uh, is great. In terms of killer apps, look, I mean, you look at something like GPS being on phones and and what happens later, or or the fact that XML HTTP created a whole set of apps as I talked about earlier. I'm always humbled by when you create underlying capabilities, the creativity of developers outside, you know, it's not that Google will develop the killer app. You know, I think down the line, someone will do something really cool with it. 
But I would argue one of the exciting aspects of the Pixel Watch is, of course, Fitbit coming on it. Right. You know, Fitbit coming as a service on it is a killer app we are putting on that watch. And, you know, so that is something I'm super excited by. Well, Sundar, thank you so much for coming on the broadcast. Uh, it's, been, it's always great to talk to you. And I always appreciate that you want to come on the Hardcore Nerd Show. So that's very good. It's good to talk to you. Greatly enjoyed it. And thanks for all the focus on I.O. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.